Welcome back to another episode of Input 2 Bites movie-based podcast. And today we're taking a little bit of a break because we've covered some heavy stuff in the past. We've been talking about AIDS and, you know, sexism and Roman Polanski, which is just a whole other nightmare of a topic. So we're going to go to the realm of children's animated features today. So it'll be good. (laughs) But I have two guests with me today. I'll start with you again, Jeremy. It's great to be back and great to not be talking about those things again. Jeremy Rogers here again. (laughs) And we have a new person today who is... Hi, this is Jack Gillespie, and I'm honestly really excited to get into this. It's my first time, so hopefully I won't screw it up. So everybody leave Jack hate comments, basically. Um, (laughs) It's going to be fun. So we're talking about how to train your dragon today. The third one, because this is a series, and it's actually based off of a book series by Cressida Cowell, and there are 12 books in that series. Have either of you read the books? No. I haven't either. I didn't know there were books. Well, (laughs) here we go. I did, but... I, I barely have time to read one book a year. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I, I mean, that. I was aware of the concept of books, but like I didn't know about this series in particular. I didn't know there were 12 books. I thought there were just like four or five. So this is like a series, like an actual series. It's interesting, though, because you'd think that they'd push the books harder since the movies came out. But I haven't really seen them around or even displayed in like bookstores or anything. Yeah. And honestly, it seems like especially with like animated films and like children's films before a movie based on a book is made usually the book is like widely known or just like a public just like phenomenon before it gets made into like a huge film but i never heard about the books before the movies came out me either yeah that's a good point it's so this one was kind of a gamble for dreamworks so it turned out well for them. Well, the first book published in 2003, and the latest one was published in 2015. So this was a long-running series, and it was going while the movies were being made. So that's interesting to me. Well, the How to Train Your Dragon movie first released on March 26, 2010, and it was an immediate critical success. Uh the director was Dean Dubois, and it raked in $494,878,759 worldwide. That's and a lot of money. It is a ton of money for a relatively unknown series. You and could an- almost say it's like a dragon's hoard of money. Is it too uh-huh. early f- to kick him off of the... No, but I am going to ignore please, him because that please. was just terrible. Uh, this was completely, this took everybody by surprise because one, it wasn't a Pixar movie. It wasn't a Disney movie. This was DreamWorks. Yeah. And even DreamWorks has its own share of really good films, mm-hmm. like especially in the early catalog. But around this time, they were making stuff like B-movie, uh, Shrek 3, the worst Shrek. So this was honestly what the studio really needed. It sort of got like its resurgence with Kung Fu Panda, but I feel like this movie was the one that really like indicated like a rebound. Like yeah. imagine if Illuminations the Grinch was really good <laughs> for some reason. Like that's Are you saying that's not the masterpiece of our generation? Yeah, Jeremy. What's wrong with the Grinch? It doesn't matter. it doesn't stack up to Ice Age, okay? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that might be controversial because Ice Age does not hold up well even though I love it. And you know what? You Jack, you leave the B movie alone because that is a cultural phenomenon for all the wrong reasons, but it still is. It is. It is a cultural landmark that I don't think people have forgotten. 
for better or for worse. I don't think we can forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, How to Train Your Dragon was largely praised because of the animation. The sky-flying scenes are beautiful. They, it is very hard at this point to tell the difference between the DreamWorks quality of animation and a Pixar film. I, it's, I think it holds up even well now. It's been, what, nine years and it still yeah, looks almost great. Almost a decade. I remember when I first saw this when I was smaller, a kid, <laughs> and I was just absolutely floored. Yeah. I. <laughs> it's a beautiful movie. And yeah. I feel like I had not seen a movie that was just like absolutely that absolutely gorgeous at that point. It it definitely, especially in American like three D animated realm, I would have to agree with you. I I'm not a big fan of the style of three D animation usually, um, but I think what they did, with, especially with the scenery and everything, was just and it's it's stylized enough so it, it doesn't look like they're not trying to mimic people in this weird uncanny valley way. I really like yeah. it. It's like yeah. a cartoon moving like a t- it's like something you could see animated in two D, but it feels natural in three D. But How to Train Your Dragon 2 followed, and that also did incredibly well. It, somewhat, it actually did better. It had $621,537,517 worldwide. Now, the interesting about it is that it technically did earn less domestically in the United States than yep. the first one, but it did bank worldwide, like in China especially. I think it's like one of the biggest grossing animated films over there. It's always interesting to see what does well in China. This is a good movie. So I'm not, but usually the films that do the well. The best Dragons movie, in my opinion. Sorry for getting to cut into the chase, but I do I think, think it's so the best. I think so too. You know, I, I think so. I think it's probably my favorite in terms of how it looks. Yeah. It does. It is definitely an upgrade at that point. Um, I also just really like Balka, so. <laughs> Agreed. It's me. But. Like, it's so interesting because here, the films that did better than How to Train Your Dragon 2 were Home, Over the Hedge, and The Croods, which are not better films by any stretch of the imagination. I think maybe it suffered from the sequel syndrome where people assumed it might not do as well because it's a sequel. But I I honestly just don't know because who went to see Home? I feel like Rihanna, maybe. I don't even know if she saw it. And she was in the gosh darn thing. <laughs> I want to see it. Also, it's a sequel to a kid's movie that's still marketing itself to kids. So if you have kids who haven't seen the first one, they're not going to go see the second one yeah. either. So that's, I mean, that's just, it's not a good reason to not go see it because it was a dang good movie and it looked fabulous. But I don't know. As a kid, I like if it was a sequel of something I loved, I was like, "Mom, we have to go see it." So I really right don't of know. something that you saw that you lo- already loved, true. but if you okay. weren't into it beforehand, maybe? yeah, I guess yeah. that's and true. And I feel like there is a stigma, especially with animation sequels, because while live action movies are more often to be taken more seriously and are often mm-hmm. having overarching story arcs, usually with animated films, it doesn't get that right to have that kind of overarching story so often the second one will just be like oh we're doing the same thing all over again so they'll automatically be assumed to be a lesser version of the original but that that, this isn't that i really enjoyed this movie so i've watched it i think more than the original at this point so yeah that's just my take the move all three of the dragon movies are honestly always visually stunning and honestly really well written but i feel like the second one has like the most emotional gut punchers because oh my gosh no you're right especially like 
with Hiccup's mom and the relationship between her and his dad is actually really interesting to see in a kid's movie. Yeah, the song between Valka and uh, Hiccup's father is honestly one of the most touching um, scenes I can remember animated film for a while. Yeah. Now, I will say, just on the whole, um, I do have problems with this series. And, (laughs) whoa, I know, crazy. Um, My biggest problem is Hiccup himself. I cannot stand his voice actor. I cannot do Jay Brockle. Brockle? Broccoli? Broccoli. Jay Broccoli. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're calling, you know. I, I just don't think he's the right match, especially as the films progress for Hiccup. I just every time I feel like they're trying to do an emotional scene in every movie with Hiccup, I can't because he's just he talks so monotone and like kind of like squeaky and it's just like stop. The other issue I have, which I understand why they did this throughout the series, is why it's just so distracting to have like these accents like with everybody else around you and then the kids are all like english and it's i get it yeah i get it because kids like you it's more likely they'll watch it if it's like themselves my argument to that is harry potter i think we can handle it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, they don't even have to be like thick accents i just think that would have made the world more immersive i don't know i know that's this is nitpicking i just want to throw it out there (laughs) yeah i i've always thought that um hiccup's voice actor has always been done serviceable yeah but i feel like that's definitely one of his weakest parts. Um, he's one of the weaker parts of the films, especially when it comes to like, some more dramatic films, moments in the films. Definitely. I'll get to that with the third film. Same. There's a moment that I definitely want to talk about in the third film with Hiccup that we'll get into. But you know what? The movies were so popular that they actually moved to a TV series. And the first episode aired on Cartoon Network on September 5th, 2012. Um, so this, it's just called DreamWorks Dragons you know, super creative. Uh, and the first two seasons are Riders of Burke and Defenders of Burke, respectively. And they ended after the two seasons. Now, I am not, this is not my, you know, I'm not the demographic for this. I've seen it in passing because, you know, I'll watch Steven Universe or something. Um, it looks, obviously the animation is massively downgraded, but I feel like if I was a kid, I'd probably be into it. So I don't know. Uh, but then, a new, not a season, but a new series came to Netflix on June 26, 2015, and this is Race to the Edge. Uh, this one has six seasons, and the final season re- released February 16th, 2018. So around the time that, like, you can see they're starting to wrap up all their animated series and everything. They're really getting ready to just be done with the Dragon series. <laughs> Which is interesting because I think I remember reading an article that I think it was the director. He said that he wanted to create more Dragons films. And honestly, seeing the final film, I am having a hard time imagining what that would look like. Yeah, unless I could see like comics or something. Yeah, that'd actually be really nice. I can even, I just, the Dragons are gone. And that's the like whole draw of it. So I'm not sure it would do well at all. I don't think the characters are interesting enough without their Dragons to really warrant Especially the adult fan base coming to it, or even teens or anything. Are mm-hmm. they interesting enough with their dragons? Look, Jeremy. Oh, come on. Come on. We're, it's a child's movie. <laughs> <laughs> but How to Train Your Dragon 3, The Lost World, released very recently. The Hidden World. The Hidden World. Thank you. I'm, <laughs> I went to Jurassic Park. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> Thank you. The Hidden World, released February 22nd, 2019 in the United States. It actually released at different times. Like, it came out way earlier in Australia. I think it was, like, the second. Yeah, it came out, like, a while ago. Why? That's so strange. I've never really seen that happening with, like, a DreamWorks or Disney film. Yeah, usually when you come across these films with 
vastly different release times for different countries. It's usually like it was made in like Japan or yeah. like in a foreign country, and then like they finally got enough either like budget or money to um, have it marketed into like a other foreign country like America. It's I have no idea. I'd be interested to find out why that was the case. It had to have been some marketing decision. Might have been, I don't know, maybe to avoid conflicting with something else that was coming out. The rest of the world wasn't ready for the third <laughs> one. I guess. Uh. All right. So in terms of critical reception, this movie has a 92% critic rating and an 89% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. The second, How to Train Your Dragon, had a 92% critic rating and an 89 audience score, and the first one had the highest, which was a 98% critical rating and a 91% audience score. So it's it's doing the it's fine. Consistently <laughs> amazing, or at least yeah. critically it does amazing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's the exact same as the second movie. It's basically DreamWorks' crown jewel. I can't really imagine another film in their um, catalog that is doing that well critically. It gives them, like, cred. <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of sad, DreamWorks. Come on. <laughs> I will say that I think this is rated too high. Uh, like, this is... I, I like the Dragon series, but... I, I don't know. I don't know, Chief. <laughs> I wouldn't give it a 92, but I do think that since it just came out, people are rushing to be like, oh my gosh, it's as great as the original, great as the other two. I think that as the time goes on, it may lower down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, like, not to make a hit on the series, it's just... Uh, I don't know if it's that good. But, like, credit where credit is due. When DreamWorks had a hit series before with Shrek, it was doing real good for the first one, real good for the second, and then just what happened? So like, Justin Timberlake happened. Justin! And Justin should never happen. No, never. Not I don't know. Not after that Super Bowl show, not after that last album. <laughs> I can go on for a while. Let's just all agree that let's keep Justin Timberlake out of... The conversation. This, all of this, Yeah. Let's pretend he doesn't exist. So let's look at some of the like the more in-depth reviews that people left. So a positive review about the film was by Matthew Lacona, the San Diego reader. And an excerpt uh, from his review is that Dubois struggles mightily to connect the resolution of one storyline to the resolution of the other. And it proves to be an overwhelming task. Still, it's a painless watch with plenty of visual O's and emotional ahs and will surely leave fans happy. I think this is a very, I picked this out because this is a very level-headed review. Um... It's it's very it indicates that there are issues, but ultimately, like, it this is a film that's going to make fans happy, and yeah. and I think that's what really matters in the grand scheme of things. If you're a fan of the series, I think this is a film that you're not going to come out terribly disappointed. In yeah, I don't think so, especially like with its target demographic. Like, oh yeah, they're on like a lot of the people going to see this. Most people excited for this are like younger, so they won't be like over analyzing and trying to point out small little details. Yeah, they're gonna see like some amazing visuals, some really well written characters, some decent humor with hits or misses. Let's be honest, some hits or misses. Um, so I think just like overall, like they should enjoy it just as much as the other two. Yeah, absolutely. So let's look at a negative review. A.A. Dowd of the A.V. Club said, The hidden world doesn't really stop giving you lovely things to gawk at, 
but as an act of storytelling, it's curiously perfunctory, never rising to the level of effort and care put into creating its cornucopia of visual p- pleasures. I'll be honest, one of the reasons I took this is because he used the word cornucopia, and <laughs> that automatically gets points for me. Uh, I've, I also think this is just another level review, um, because he's saying the positive, like, it does look amazing. Um, but I also agree with him about storytelling, because there are some issues. But again, this is a children's movie, and they're not looking at this through the lens of, like, what, 23, 22, 20-year-olds. I guess, but I feel like the films, like, I feel like they're doing stuff that's above the mark of, like, the average film, so I think Mm -hmm. it does deserve to be judged on its, like, story and, like, how it's structured from, like, just like any other film. I agree. I agree. Like, I'm... I can understand if, like, that sounds nitpicky for, like, Turbo, you know, that Jumerx movie about <laughs> I remember the snail. Turbo. <laughs> I'm surprised somebody remembered Turbo. They peaked then. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's a little slow to get to it. <laughs> get it? Uh, uh, I hate uh, it. A comedy podcast. <laughs> I but, hate <yeah>. you both. <laughs> if someone were to throw critiques like that at Turbo, it would just seem like they're reading too much into it. It doesn't seem like a film that's trying to do... A lot of stuff. It's like quick, throw it out. The kids will be happy. Done. But yeah. I feel like with How to Train Your Dragon, it, considering the acclaim that's gotten, there is expectations to come with it, especially for one with an overarching plot over the three films. Absolutely. Uh, what I'm getting at is mostly like if you're listening, and the common excuse is it's a kid's film, so don't look at it. I, that was. With Frozen, anytime I tried to talk about my issues with Frozen, it was like, it's a Disney kids film. But, you know, it's also made by a group of adults who know how to storytell. But my point is that, like, we know it's a kids film, but we aren't children. We're, like, you know, we're journalists and talking about movies. And I'm a film studies major, so... We're professional movie people. Yes. Certainly. We, we're not earning money for being professional movie people, or at least I'm not. Are y'all being paid oh, for I'm this? Oh, I'm sorry, I am. <laughs> I mean, we got a donate button if you guys want to make it that happen. <laughs> yeah, if you want to hear us talk about How to Train Your Dragon in uh, like a four-part uh, series of in-depth analysis. Yeah, let's go. First movie, second movie, first season of the TV show, second season, then the Netflix. Then we'll much. dive into the books. Come on, guys. Please. Get this rolling. Stop. <laughs> Please don't donate then. I don't want And if to you want to donate to me, I have Venmo. Please buy me Dairy Queen. <laughs> That's all college kids want. It's Dairy Queen. Well, at the box office, it this film also did insanely well. Uh, worldwide, it had $281,064,230. Keep in mind, this is just opening weekend. Uh, it's going to grow from here. This is a movie people are going to keep going to see. It's like one of the only films of 2019 that's really competition so far. Yeah, no kidding. Like, what is there? Happy Death Day to you? Yeah, <laughs> which I want to see. <laughs> but you actually pointed this out to me. This is the best opening week for all of 2019 so far. And for all the films. So considering, I'm guessing it's going to be upward trajectory. First, the first film made like 400 around that. Second one made 600 million. We don't know how. So who knows what the third one will earn. Hopefully it does pretty well because I want DreamWorks to see that we want quality and not just pumped out trash, which they're prone to. Sorry, DreamWorks. <laughs> they're very hit or miss. They are very hit or miss. Well, yeah. 
Sorry. But this was also the best debut week of the whole franchise. So I think by this point, it, it's pretty evident people were excited to see it. And this franchise is beloved at this point. Like, we want to see more of the dragons. But please don't make more because it's done. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> please stop. But let's actually get into this film a little bit. One of you guys tell me just very briefly, what is this film about? What happened? All right. So third film. Well, we are obviously going to be going into spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie yet. Why are you listening? <laughs> why are you? Li- yes. Why are you listening? But anyways, the third film, it starts out the um, Hiccup. He has become the chief of Burke and he's been doing pretty well. He, and he has a habit of helping capturing, not capturing, <laughs> saving dragons that have been captured and bringing them back to Burke. And I find it really funny how they revealed the main problem of the film. Um, through every film, like the beginning of it, he goes to like the monologue like, this is Burke and we have dragons. Um, and I find it funny how at first, like we look at Burke and it's absolutely stuffed with dragons. And first you're like, oh my gosh, so many saved dragons. So you'll sort of think, oh, that's good. And then the scene slowly devolves. Like you see like, oh, it is overcrowded and then like (laughs) houses start falling down and you're just like huh it's a fun evolution of the entire scene (laughs) yeah uh so the biggest problem immediately like you said is just like there are drag you can't you literally people cannot move very well in their town because there are just dragons everywhere there are dragons in the soup yeah it's kind of disgusting and even like other characters tell Hiccup, like, we can't keep living like this. And he's like, no, it's fine. It's good. It's good for fun. More dragons. <laughs> it's like this a cat like... hoarder. <laughs> yeah, no, this is just an epi- a really elaborate episode of Hoarders. Just <laughs> all the dragons everywhere. Yeah. I, what I don't understand is, like, why do they all have to be here? Like, he could just let them go and then just be like, okay, bye. We live over here. Come visit sometime. But, like, (laughs) I don't know. It just seems like the answer is pretty simple. Like, Like, presumably you were living somewhere else before this. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess maybe, like, if, like, they let them go, they'll get captured again. So then I guess maybe this is, like, here's your safe ground. But I guess that's true. I don't know. I also thought it was funny. Something I thought was cute was how they, uh, they dressed up the sheep to be little (laughs) dragons so they don't eat them. But that does make me wonder, what are the dragons eating? They don't eat each other. That's confirmed unless they're, like, made to. So, uh... I don't think we ever I, see what their main... It's fish. That's the only thing we ever see dragons eat that are not sheep. It's just fish. Okay, this is... Uh, okay, this is looking way too deep into it, but how does the economy of this town thrive? Because they must be, like... Like, the amount of resources and time it must take to feed all these dragons on top of, like, the people must be insane i think the real work is being done by all the vikings that we don't see and not the kids (laughs) i think that's a real story you (laughs) know that that the kids are not doing the brunt work to keep this organization going all right they're not the lifeblood of burke they're not they're not the (laughs) they're not the they aren't moving the economy man hiccup but you're supposed to be the chief Whatever. I'm looking way deep into this. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Just spend a couple more weeks working on your map. No one <laughs> needs to eat. So a character I want to talk about is Grimmel the Grizzly. He's our villain for the film. And, you know, he, in terms of writing, he's really not 
a good villain, but in terms of animation, I want to see more of him all the time because his face is just the most express. He is the most well animated character in this entire series. And I think I think his voice actor did a wonderful job with him. Yes, he's like, so fun. You're able to clearly get like how cunning and sly he is just like from the way that he talks and the way that sometimes when he's talking with the other warlords that he's collaborating with that he looks down on them they're just like i have to work with these heathens to get (laughs) these dragons and he's just doing his best i really liked him i i could completely just disengage my mind be like this is dumb and go i want more he's my favorite character Yeah. yeah no every time he's on screen there's you're just engaged with the character. There's never a moment where you're like, oh, yeah, I'm watching a movie. I need to get more popcorn or something like that. It's great. Yeah. But let's talk about his little his thing is that, you know, he's a dragon hunter and he's like, you know, dragons are evil. Okay, so that's what Burke thought before. So it's just going back. And his whole shtick is he's killed all the night furies. Except for the ladies, or so he thought. So there's this, there's a night fury, and she's really pretty. A light fury. Oh god. Bright fury. Done. <laughs> it is a light, light fury. I'm sorry. She's a light fury because she's white and sparkly, and she does not have nearly as much texture as toothless because apparently women can't have any blemishes. But that's another issue. Um, <laughs> uh, so he's like, okay, we can use her. To get Hiccup's Night Fury to be distracted. So his name is Toothless. Come on. Ugh, okay, he. Do- I'm sorry. I'm using his. He is an icon, name. and he deserves to be recognized by name. But he. Okay, but the bad guy doesn't know his name. So okay. checkmate. Yeah. Check. <laughs> you don't have checkmate yet. Okay, we'll see. By the end of this, we'll find out. Um. So she comes. The White Fury, as they call her, comes, and Toothless is like. A lady, and then he tries to, you know, <laughs> to mate with her, and it's actually quite comical. <laughs> it's, but it's also confusing. So he tries to, like, you know, impress her by doing like the mating dances and everything, which he should probably know instinctually. But for some reason, Hiccup has to show him how to do it, and the implication of that is kind of terrifying. One, Hiccup likes to watch. Two, because he actually does watch. Two, why? Why doesn't? Why doesn't Toothless? Like, naturally know how to do this. Like, presumably he had a life. He was living his best life before he got shot down at the beginning of movie one. My best guess is that he was just raised so long. Like, he's been with, like, Hiccup and Burke so long that, like, he's sort of forgotten, like, oh, oh, yeah, there's other Night Furies. How do I communicate with them? That's fair. I just thought it was really odd. (laughs) It was funny odd, but whatever. So that happens and they ultimately they use the light fury to find Burke and cause all sorts of conundrums. Now that's um that's one thing I wanted to point out it's sort of nitpicky but I I've sort of seen like this sort of story device being used before. Oh, we the villain is secretly um has control of like the love interest actually yep. Spy Kids 3. Yeah. That is sort of what <laughs> Light Fury is <laughs> but yeah um it never is really like really emphasized like at one point like um Grimmel really does say like we have the light fury and we will help um will help us get the night fury but there aren't really any many moments where it shows light fury like showing that she is working with Grimmel it just seems like she she has no idea just like oh there's another night fury yeah. and just like 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, my friend leaned over to me during the movie, and she said the same thing. Like, she was like, what? Wait, so are they, like, working together? And it, from my best guess, it looks like he just followed her around. Like, I don't think she was evil. She wasn't a femme fatale or anything. Yeah. Okay, okay, but how? How? Yeah. Because her entire shtick is that she can turn herself invisible. And Night Furies are already some of the, like, faster flying things. They're small. Yeah. How are you going to follow the invisible fast small dragon through yeah, the sky? Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. Well, but... I think the reason that he's able to have control is because I remember the other dragons that he has that he labels as dragon killers. He's basically, like, drugged them. So I think that, like, through, like, that purple vial, I think that's what he's using to have, like, control over the Light Fury. Though it doesn't really at any moment show any major... Like control he has over the life, but theory. she doesn't go back to him. Or, like, Do we report. ever see her? With yeah, a vial? they just follow. So that's why I think she's just wild. They because he doesn't like use her. He just kind of follows her around. That's, I mean, he did have her in captivity at the beginning, so like, yeah. there was like some relationship, but it didn't seem like after like the first beginning scenes that there really was much. Um, connection between the Light Fury and Grimmel. Oh, when we see later in the film, he does inject her. Her eyes change and everything, so I think that can't be really the case. I don't know. I think that's just one of those things they like didn't. It really could have been about. executed a bit better. <laughs> yes, it definitely could have. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about the side characters because I don't like them in any movie, but this one um, I actually kind of liked a few of them. <laughs> uh, I. Loved yeah. the twins. I loved one of the twins. <laughs> I do not like uh, Rough Nut. I just, I don't like the annoying characters, and that's their, like they're so stupid that they don't like they're non-functioning essentially. Like she led them right back. Like I think, I think just like the pure dumbness of that scene was it was entertaining. I can like, see it. I can, personally, I can relate as a fellow <laughs> dumb person. Like, sometimes I'll just go on and on and on, and I won't realize, oh, everybody else is just, like, waiting for me to stop. <laughs> so it. it was a relatable mood, but also just, like, a really funny scene to me. I yeah, no, it. I loved the scene. I thought it was really well done, really good in-character moment, but I still was like, do we, do we, even though it's a good scene, does that mean we have to have it? Just because it's fits the character. Well, I mean, it was a good transition to how Grimmel was able to find where the Burkeans were at that m moment. So it did have, like, relevance to the plot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it had plot relevance. I, uh, another character... Okay, but first, Tough Nut. Uh, I really enjoyed Boy Talk. All the scenes <laughs> of Boy Talk. I, I just... We haven't Seconded. really gotten to see Tough Nut at all, and I just thought it was so funny. Yeah, he was the most improved character. Yes, Absolutely. And MVP. Um, I love them with his beard. I love that <laughs> pretty much it is never acknowledged what's going on because like, he just he, he ties his hair into beard. And I just love how nobody really is like, um, and the only moment that it happens is in the climax when it's cut off and it's like, boom, he goes Hulk and he's like, ah. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought he was a lot of fun. Um, I really thought that snot lout. Jonah Hill's character? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, he's just kind of been annoying throughout the entire thing, but this one was weird. No Le joke with him landed, to be honest. Me Least either. favorite character. It was just awkward him hitting on his mom, on Hiccup's mom. That was. 
I, yeah, God. I feel like that should be mentioned a bit more. Like, that seems a bit like, hey, can you not hit on my mom, please? I just thought it was weird. I know it's a kid's movie, so no one wants to be outwardly mean. But, like, he, this kid, just, like, he insults people. He's constantly trying to start, like, this, I am the better man than you, than Kit Harrington's character. Yeah. Uh, and, and he hits on, like, Hiccup's mom, and everyone's just really nice to him and, like, feeds his ego. In the like. They aren't correcting his fragile masculinity. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. It's just like, I God, I just, I didn't think he was funny is my biggest issue with him. Like, it's not even like he was so, like, dumb and awkward that you could laugh at him. It was just kind of like, okay, let's... Yeah, it wasn't, like, unco- like extremely uncomfortable whenever he had, like, a line, but it was just like, I feel like we're wasting, like, yes. movie time with you. Yeah. It's when like- other characters deserve way more screen time. Yeah. Yeah, Pick it's up just mother. like, you're here... You're here just because you're in the main cast, not because you have anything useful to do here. But they did know to keep, uh, what's the name of the Viking kid? Who fish has legs. Fish legs, yeah, he has the baby. I thought they they knew they knew uh, he wasn't very liked, so they did a good job of keeping him just kind of out of the... He was he was cameo status, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm kind of glad. I loved it. <laughs> to be honest, true, yeah. I, I mean, like, he wasn't terrible, but like... Why? But, like, that's the thing, is that he wasn't fantastic, but he didn't overstay his welcome. And so every time he was there, it was like, okay, He wasn't even welcomed. He wasn't even let into the door. He was just waiting outside. He was never (laughs) given one major moment. What's interesting about his character, though, is I could see them writing him to be more interesting because he's, like, kind of the dragon nerd expert person. But they never really go anywhere with that outside of the first movie where he just kind of mentions names of things. But I feel like that could be a more integral plot point yeah. in some way. <laughs> Especially since, like, the whole point of this movie is discovering the hidden world, the birthplace, the origin of all the dragons. You'd seen, it seems like discovering such a huge thing in dragon-like history and science or whatever that he would have some sort of, like, role in that sort right. of helping. But or, or, like, him being like, hey, I want to go there and write a book about the dragons because yeah. they're cool. I don't know. I feel like they just made him to be a, a more... I feel like they went the really cheap and somewhat insulting route of just going, like, he looks funny. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh, he's carrying his baby around. Yeah. <laughs> well, what can you do? The other character I really want to get into really quick is Astrid. Um, So Astrid is kind of one of those. She's the blank female character love interest. She's she's really good warrior, guys. She's great. But we're not going to give her any real power because... I don't know. Uh, Astrid is interesting to me because, like, I feel like she's an example of execs going, like, this is a strong female character, but, like, okay, but what? I don't know her. I, ju- I don't know anything about her. She- yeah. She has potential to be a really good character. Like, there were points where it's like, I, I don't feel like I want to get married. And I think, honestly, think that a really good direction they could have gone with this is that, like, maybe they didn't even have to get married. Yeah, because like, there was no point where they're just like, "Yes, I want to get married." Spoiler: They get Hiccup and Asher get married. They love each other, but I honestly feel like it would be a more interesting sort of avenue to see them just not get married and make little ones of themselves. I yeah yeah, it's it's just a cop out. I feel like it could be done, but they don't really have time to be like love interests. Really, I feel like I don't see why Hiccup needs to be the chief. I feel like Astrid would make a much better chief of ancestral birth stuff. Yeah, but here's the thing: like there are always coups 
in like these like tribes or like monarchies like hiccup is literally kind of screwing them over like he doesn't really know anything about leading they have like this their town is like you know over saturated with dragons maybe that's what the fourth movie is going to be about maybe fourth is when the revolution starts <laughs> oh poor hiccup <laughs> <laughs> some dragon scale guillotines i just feel bad because he like very clearly has no interest in leading so i think it would have been really interesting if astrid assumed the role and you know, he was allowed to keep doing what he was actually interested in. But I understand there's an ancestral thing, but is it not more interesting to see that, like, deviation where he realizes he's not a good chief? And this goes back to, like, the very first movie where Hiccup goes, like, it's kind of empowering to be like, okay, you're not what everyone thought would be good for this role, but you make it your own and you make it good, that's fine. But like from Astrid's perspective, her entire character in the first movie is, I'm so much better than you. I have all the training. I have all the skills. Why am I not winning? Do you, do you guys remember the line where Hiccup's having a sad moment and it's after like Toothless Leaves or something and she goes up to him and she's like, and he says something like, I'm nothing without my dragons. and he's, And she says to him like, well, I believed in you. And I remember in the theater, I was like, no, you didn't. <laughs> what? No, in the first movie, she did not give any interest to him until he had a dragon. And even then, it took her a minute. So, what? Yeah, she like she was one of the first like of the kids to like get on his side in the first movie. But like, let's be honest, it took her a while. Yeah. yeah she was his rival. When he started doing well and everyone was, like, paying attention to him, like, sitting next to him at meals and, like, leaving her, she'd just kind of stew next to her stew while she was <laughs> looking at him. Very oh, clever. Astrid. Thank you. But, you know, the characters aren't the only important thing about the movie. Um, animation-wise, I think uh, it, it looks good. I mean, it's it's, like, it looks... It's just as good as the other two in terms of animation. I thought it looked gorgeous. I think it has some of the best looking scenes that the franchise has ever seen. Like when um, Toothless and Light Fury are like flying together for the first time with the soundtrack with it. It was honestly really beautiful. It reminded me of like um, some of the first movies like flying scenes where like we're just like discovering a whole new world allowed in here. Um, But yeah, it was really beautiful and I think the best scene in the movie, at least aesthetics-wise, is when, like, they first discover the the hidden world. Yep, I agree. It is so colorful, and it seems like, like, the scene lasts a little while, like, more than, like, I'd say one to two minutes, mm-hmm. maybe longer than that, but I wish it could have gone on forever, because, like, it just seems like as you're going through it, you get, it's more than just, like, a cursory look at it. You get to notice, like, all the small little details of the civilization and just, like, the how the environment works. And it was just honestly just amazing to look at. Jeremy, you look like you have thoughts. I definitely have thoughts. You have thoughts. Um, I gotta say, I was really unimpressed with How to Train Your Dragon 3's visuals. I think that the animation itself has gotten really good and like there's you know better textures, better lighting and everything. But the thing that impressed me the most about How to Train Your Dragon 2 was more of the cinematography and the camera work. That's like true. when yeah. Hiccup was like going up, flying into the clouds, when he was diving off and using his wingsuit, the camera work felt really personal and it felt really different. 
from the first movie. Whereas this film in, you know, How to Drain Your Dragon 3, everything felt really standard. Like, all of the attention was put into making the Lost World colorful, making it vibrant, but not in showing it in an interesting way. Yeah, I definitely agree that the cinematography is definitely much less personal. It's more taking, like, a step back and just looking at, like, from a wide scope, which I think isn't what a lot of people remember most dearly when it comes, like, to the flying scenes. But I still stand by, like, just based on, like, the design of everything, just, like, the world and, like, the characters. Like, I personally thought that Life Fury, it was, like, it was a a decent design. I thought it was, like, very striking design. Um, but I still think, like, the designs are some of the best, and, like, I always enjoy, like, seeing, like, some of the new concepts they have, like, the dragon costumes, like, the dragon flying costume that they showed in the very beginning, I really enjoyed those. I thought they were really, like, cool. Um, very Dovahkiin. Least... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen those, but I will, I will nod yes. <laughs> um, and also, yeah, just, like, the designs in general were really top-notch, to be honest. Also, there are some... The fighting scenes in this, not like so much the hand-to-hand combat scenes, but particularly uh, the weird scorpion dragons with the acidic fire. They were yeah. awesome. That those scenes where they're interacting with them are the best animated part of the film, in my opinion. And I'd even give you, I liked the big scene where uh, Toothless and the Light Fury are flying together and they get into that storm system. That looked really nice. It reminds me of the scene in WALL-E when um, Eva and WALL-E are like dancing through space. I mean like even like sort of like the color palettes of the two characters sort of like match like sort of like the dark browns and versus the whites it sort of does so like feel like a parallel (laughs) yeah no i totally see that that's weird because when they went into that storm system my mind immediately went to mad max fury road what (laughs) when the desert storm kicks up i'm gonna stick with except you know it's not terrifying yeah i mean it's dragons i'll be honest is it a bad thing if i think it's terrifying well, I, I guess not, but I'll be honest, <laughs> For in the hidden world, all I see is Pandora. <laughs> I don't mean that as a negative or a positive. I was just like, yeah, this is dragons and Pandora. That's pretty dope. It is were... more than just shades of blue, excuse me. Hey, uh, yeah, I don't I don't like Avatar, so <laughs> I mean, I'll give you that one. I just mean like, especially with like the little like, you know, those little golden dragons that were flying and everything. Mm-hmm. They remind me a lot of like the things you'd see in Pandora. I don't know. I don't even remember Avatar enough to... I just went to Disney. That's that's the only reason I remember. (laughs) The little jellyfish things, the spirits of Awa. The plants are what... There's a ride at Disney where you like sit and you go through Pandora and that like the plants are very similar. That's the only reason I remember it. Don't watch Avatar. And again, (laughs) weirdly enough, my mind went to Finding Nemo because like it looks like (laughs) coral reefs. All the stuff. Anemone. Right. And then we get the little dragon eggs that are like translucent. And I was like, all right. That was a really nice touch. We need to have How to Train Your Dragon 4 is like Finding Nemo, but dragon. Like, we have a dragon <laughs> with, like, a stunted wing. Oh, no, I can see that itself. happening. Don't give them that idea. Well, at the end, Stop. we find out that Toothless has some kids. He has babies, and they're they're cute, you know? I like the one that had, like, the white stomach and, like, the black top. Yeah, I mean, everybody has babies at the end. <laughs> I like, Not everybody. Well, well, anyone we care about. Hiccup and Astrid have two kids. 
a boy and a girl, and then, you know, they're like three, three or four baby I, dragons. Five. Oh, I thought you meant age for the kids. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I was like, how'd you get the ages from them? I have no idea. The, the girl was older. That's all I can dissect from that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it ends pretty predictably. It's basically Bye Bye Butterfree, um, <laughs> <laughs> the movie. You know, he's like, you know, go be with your girlfriend. Go be free. And Toothless is like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I have... I have some thoughts about like the final like third fourth of the film me too let's get into it it is not really that well executed first off um the like a lot of like the themes of the second half is like okay hiccup is gonna have to learn to let um toothless go but there are two two instances where it's like sort of indicated that should happen one is when um he first lets hiccup go on like the date with like the flying Mm -hmm. Like, I was, like, same as Hiccup. I did not see that as, like, oh, he's expecting him to go away forever. So I don't think it did well at, like, sort of indicating, oh, he's letting him go, like, for good. Supposed to be letting him go for good. Yeah, I also got that vibe as well. I just, I'm not sure it works entirely well, especially since we've seen that this entire society kind of now relies on dragons. Yes, and um, the one spot where... um where Hiccup finally lets go of Hiccup. Everybody else in the village, they suddenly, along with them, they're just like, bye, dragons. Yeah. It seems odd that after years and years of a society built around dragons, they every single person in the village is okay to just let them go. Yeah. Right, like they had dragons working their, bla- their forges. Like, that's an important job. Yeah. Honestly, a more interesting route they could take with this is if there was resistance to letting the dragons go and Hiccup had to convince them to let them go. Uh, not that I agree with that stance, but I think that'd be a more interesting argument. Um, I really just didn't... I just don't really get the world, I guess, because we've seen dragons exist, like, before this. They go everywhere. Um, we knew they had, like, a chief of dragons at some point. It was, like, that giant monstrous one in the first movie. Then, hey, not Hiccup, Toothless became the chief dragon. But now it seems like they're all swarming around him, and the idea of, like, wild dragons seems a lot less prominent because they all go to the hidden world at the end because, you know, we don't deserve dragons. But yeah, or, like, we're not ready to, like, like, the dragons are safer off, like, without humans. But you'd think, like, the dragons would make that decision on their own. They can, like, go and leave at any point. Yeah. It's I've, just kind of odd. In a fight between dragons and humans, there's no guess on who'd win that. I know. Like, they could definitely just take over. I don't really get the point. Yeah. I, it's also just strange, too, with the whole dragon hunter dilemma. Like, we should not hunt dragons versus we should hunt them because they're dangerous. I'm not, we've never, I can't even understand really the conflict because we haven't seen dragons be really dangerous. And I know it's a kid's movie. They can't show them like eating people and like all that. Yeah. Though I guess like the point where the dragons were considered dangerous is like mostly in the first film because that's when it's just like, that's when like we're trying to undo like, oh, dragons and humans or like of Burke especially, they are at odds. But really the reason is why is because Burke has been so cruel to the dragons that they're just like that so my thought process is that the rest of the world they haven't been able to have like a hiccup to show them like oh dragons are nice so the rest of the world or the rest of the land that we have been introduced to they haven't really had that come to moment yet i could buy that but like also when we see the people not our main villain 
you know, not Gimmel the Grizzly, but the people who, like, ask him to work for them. These, like, weirdly, vaguely Asian-inspired generals with, yeah. like, Asian-looking armor things. Yeah, all of the villains, really quickly, I'm going to interrupt you, all the villains, um, have you noticed they all uh, skew a little towards, you know, Russian, uh, <laughs> Asian, <laughs> like it's a little uh, whatever Kit Harrington's character is with that darker colored skin. Okay, oh, I, wait, I, I, doesn't get hurt, Eric? Isn't that like that? He was, wasn't he? He was bad in the first. I mean, the second, second. movie. Yeah, but yeah. then he like he's flipped. Good. Yeah, yeah. Now he's on Burke team. Yeah, team Burke. I feel like it. I feel like that sort of isn't hit over the head of the people like of the audience i honestly didn't really like recognize that extremely oh yeah it's not prominent it's more of a subtext kind of thing that you just kind of notice it's it's interesting and it's probably honestly not anything they thought about yeah no i noticed it primarily with grimmel just because he's very russian yeah in how he talks (laughs) yeah and i was just like huh okay so we've got a russian Who's helping out the Asianish looking people? <laughs> and like, then we have the second movie's villain who's just, you know, that slight bit darker skin. Mm, this is what we're showing our kids. I don't think Eric is designed to be like. Oh, wait, no, you're not talking about. What was the name of the second movie's main guy? Oh, man. Like Fargo? I have no idea. It wasn't far. He was really bland. (laughs) Can we be fair? Yeah. Yeah, I don't even remember. I think the villain was like the weakest part of that whole movie. If the villain in this wasn't so fun to watch, I would not remember him. He's written wise. They're not. This is not a series with like. Drago? Drago. Oh, that makes sense. You know, dragon. I was sort of close. (laughs) I think one more thing about the like the ending moments of the film Oh, yep, I am seeing a picture of Drago, and I can definitely, yeah, I can see what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) The dreads. This is not an issue. The hair, the bod. This is something not specific to DreamWorks. A lot of films, especially uh, animated films and other kids' films, tend to do this type of thing, and it's going to go right over children's heads. But, I mean... Again, we're we're noticing it because we're adults. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the climax of this film because I thought it was insanely underwhelming. Yes, yes. I think w- most importantly is that the whole point of the climax was to be like, oh, Hiccup has to like, fend for himself, fight for himself without like his dragon. First off, wasn't that sort of like what the second movie was all about because like, yep. he lost control of Hiccup? Two, the, mo- the time Hiccup spends without Hiccup fighting for himself it is minimal it yep. seems like it's only been like it was only like a minute or so where he's like oh i'll use my um dragon scale like flying costume to go over there and then bring get my dragon right back and then we fight it had not enough time to really have an impact on me i was just like oh that was quick yeah i really you know the part there's a part where um where you know the bad guy injects the white fury and he takes control of her. And so to, uh, Toothless and Hiccup go after them. And he it ends up that, you know, Hiccup falls with, you know, the bad guy. And they do this, the most overly dramatic, like this gospel-ish kind of music starts playing. And he's like, 
and I'll let go. And he lets go and they start falling, like trying to do the, they're about to die fake out. But we all know that's not going to happen. Yeah. And I wouldn't even mind, but it was so over dramatic. Like someone real at Pixar was really patting themselves like, I did it. And then Grimble just falls into the water. In the first film, like Hiccup falls like through like a whole bunch of fire. I feel like we, we stepped down a bit. Yeah, like he could just swim to shore like what oh man i just this resolution like they did not take the time to really write an interesting conclusion rimmel is the most pointless villain in terms of like the way he was written he's but like he had the most he had some of the most build-up yeah of anyone because they were like yo he killed all of the most dangerous yeah. dragon yeah eric's like he's he's way more cunning than you think he is he's one smart bear <laughs> Yeah. Did I really just pull a Yogi Bear? I did. <laughs> I did. It's okay. We forgive you. Also, weird thing about this dude's history. So he killed all the Night Furies. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. But, like, he doesn't look like he's ancient himself. He did it really you know, fast. He's got white hair. But, like, when we start off the first movie in Burke, when uh, Fishlegs brings up the book, he's like, there are, like, no Night Furies left. That's already in the books in Burke. When did this dude have the time to go kill all the Night Furies? How many were there? There could have only been like four, for all we know. Like, he could have just found them. them. Well, then Big Whoop, he killed all of them, except for half of them. I don't know, okay? Yeah, it's like there's only like... There's only like four Night Furies. Grimmel has as much impact on them as um, that one guy had on the Beatles. What? Wait, what? The guy who oh. killed John Lennon. Oh my gosh, we got really dark here. For yeah, a sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> I was just like, whoa, wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I have thoughts about John Lennon, but we won't Next go into that. Next time on Input 2, John Lennon, <laughs> the inside story on our movie podcast, you know. Um, yeah, I, I just, this, it was very underwhelming for me. Uh, I also that the whole art like there's a speciest argument that was going on in this film that was odd mm-hmm. um <laughs> there was like because hiccups arguing for like equality of dragons and the arguments verbatim that uh <laughs> grimmel was making are like speciest or what people would call speciest in terms of like dragons aren't people they could never work with us and they are savages and they need to be exterminated and we're supposed to side with hiccup but that's that's a PETA argument <laughs> it was just really <laughs> odd I, I was like kids don't this is odd like I don't have a stance on it either way I just I didn't expect that blatant of a speciesism perspective yeah. honestly I feel like the dragon series has never been intensely subtle about its like messaging no but i mean like but you know overall i'm not expecting like deep complex politics or like stuff like that or philosophy to be tackled in how to train your dragon but that's why i was surprised that they even brought it up (laughs) like it's just it was just very (laughs) odd i don't i don't get it maybe it's just me i thought it was subtle how hiccup finally replaces that like little tail fin on toothless and it's like oh they I complete each that. other. That's sweet. <laughs> That's so cute. I like thinking about it like that. Thank you. More of that, please. <laughs> well, overall, I thought it was I thought it was fine. Like I if I was a kid, I would eat this up. Um I think it's a fine movie. 
I'm not a kid, so, you know, that's... Yeah. Technically, I think, like, the film is just as consistently amazing as, like, the past two looks is just as good, and I think that the character writing is still really good. I believe that some characters are spent more time on than needed than other characters. I honestly really wish that Hiccup's mother got more time. Me too. She's awesome. She was one of the best parts of the second movie, and she's, like, pushed to the sideline, and that's really disappointing. But other than that, I feel like the writing was good. I feel like on most aspects, it's very consistent with the past two. It's just a story, especially the second half, is really where it falters. And that is really disappointing considering this is supposed to be the thing that wraps up the entire series. Yep. Yeah, I feel like they just kind of couldn't figure out a way to make it the best one. So they were just, okay, fine, we'll we'll just end it here. Yeah, we just got to wrap it, wrap it, wrap it. We're that not, is the worst ball to drop. We're not going to Shrek it. <laughs> Shrek it up. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you guys, like, this was DreamWorks. This was their franchise. They the don't, Crown Jewel. They don't have another one. This isn't like Disney where they can just, like, throw out another princess movie. What are they, What's next for DreamWorks? Like, are they going to pick up another franchise? Like, are they just going to go back to kind of their mediocrity? I don't know, because honestly, I feel like this movie indicates sort of like the end of an era. Can which I guess would make sense since, like, it's been almost a decade since the last one came out. So I think whether or not, like, um, DreamWorks continues to, like, put out, like, quality films or even quote films to the um, greatness of, like, the first two How to Train Your Dragon films, it's sort of up in the air. I feel like the the recent output hasn't been awful. Like, there hasn't been any, like, Shark Tales sort of <laughs> badness. At least I don't, I can't remember. No, there has not been a Shark Tales in a bit, <laughs> which is good. Yeah, I find it, I don't know, personally, I don't think that there's going to be um, a series come up really soon that's going to match, like, How to Train Your Dragon, because that's not easy to match. Mm-hmm. Like, it set the bar really high, but I honestly can't tell 100%. Yeah. I I don't know. It's interesting because I mentioned it briefly earlier. Um, we're now at a point in animation where Pixar just isn't the standout anymore. We, everybody else is caught up. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that we get it, not, maybe not a franchise, but another film that is just beautiful and extremely well written and well done from DreamWorks. And that's my hope for DreamWorks. I don't want to see them make terrible movies and laugh at them, but... They do have a Don't trend. Don't tempt us. <laughs> Don't tempt us, DreamWorks, because we will. They do have a trend of uh, just pumping out knockoff Disney films or <laughs> stuff like that. So Let it be known, Ants was originally... We, it was. Ants is an interesting story, actually, to read about. We've talked about Katzenberg before and how Disney completely uh, just kind of screwed him over. That might be an interesting just topic all on its own. But... To wrap up this podcast, final thoughts on How to Train Your Dragon 3. Uh, Well, I thought that it didn't match the first two, especially not the second one, which I think is one of the best animated films of the decade, my opinion. Um, It got a lot of the stuff of what the first two did right. It got that stuff, but the most crucial parts that needed to get right, it sort of dropped the ball, the story. So... It's sort of a disappointing note for the series to end on, but, I mean, like, in the end, I guess I'm really glad how the franchise turned out overall. Listen, Dean Dubois, 
director of How to Train Your Dragon movies. I know you're listening to this, and thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. It's been an honor, but hopefully you can learn from this podcast, learn from this, and hopefully make The Croods 2 better than The Croods 1. Oh, just no. Just make it Communicate crudier. this stuff <laughs> to DreamWorks and just help them. And also, if we've been mispronouncing your name, we are deeply sorry. I know I've been mispronouncing your name, so I'm terribly sorry. We respect your artistry, and you did a really good job on these three films. So we want to give you a shout-out if you are well, hearing this, which we know, because we are the best Absolutely. podcast on the planet. Absolutely. Uh, Ball State represent, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, my final thought is I personally, I just, I was kind of bored during it. Uh <laughs> I didn't hate it. I'd probably give it, like, if you pushed me, like, an 75. Uh, if you were just asking me about animation, I'd probably get it, like, an 85. But that's just me. It's a fine movie. If you have children, they're going to love it. If you really like this movie, all power to you. Um I liked it. I'll probably see it again. And if you want to read more thoughts on the film, I will be having a written review of the newest film out pretty soon. I don't know the exact date, but be on the lookout for it on the Byte website if you want to hear my full thoughts in a more constructed, shorter version. Absolutely. So, this has been Emily Rubin, your host of Input 2, and with me I have... Jeremy Rogers living his best life in Burke 2 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> um, and this is Jack Gillespie, um, newcomer, but willing to overthrow anybody that gets in my way. Okay. <laughs> With that note, <laughs> thank you all so much for listening and join us next week for another Input 2. Actually, not next week, the week after because it's Ball State Spring Break, everybody. Well, you can read all of our written work on ByteBSU.com and the Ball State Daily. Be sure to check out Jack's review when it comes out. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at ByteBSU. We also have a YouTube channel. It is also at ByteBSU where we upload very frequently. So be sure to check all of those out. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you.